Thank you, brother, for uh, praying. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we will give our attention this morning to verses 19 through 21. I will begin, begin reading from verse 10. So John chapter 3, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, didn't, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God." Amen. Why is man in such a dreadful condition? What is the cause of all of the evil and sin committed in this world? What will God do? What has God done? In the end, God will judge the world in righteousness. John, the author of this gospel, writing in the book of Revelation, reveals this truth in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. What he sees, he sees a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And there, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And we know that there is a coming day of judgment. The word of God makes it clear, and it is impressed upon the consciences of men. But has God done anything now that men might be saved? In his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus revealed to Nicodemus the need for a birth from above. And this birth from above, he further explains, is the washing of regeneration. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews, he he is astounded by this. And he asks Nicodemus in verse 9, how can these things be? And part of Jesus' answer is a rebuke and correction. And then he clarifies to Nicodemus that these things can be so because God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And now beginning in verse 19, what Jesus does is he clarifies, he gives us, he clarifies for Nicodemus and in so doing gives us an answer to these pertinent questions. He makes it very clear to Nicodemus that the plight of man is due to the evil of man. In verse 19, he says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. What has God done? God has sent his Son into the world. And how has the world responded? Has the world responded by openly receiving and accepting the Son of God? Has the world responded by believing in Christ? No. Jesus says that this is the condemnation. As he was speaking, and as we heard, uh, beginning at verse 17, God's intention in sending the Son into the world was not to condemn the world, but as as the result of, of the world's response to the giving of the Son, they stand condemned. All who do not believe are condemned already. And now Jesus makes clear, he highlights the point, and he says, this is the condemnation. Or translated another way, the condemnation is based on this fact, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The light is Christ himself. He, he takes this title upon himself throughout, throughout this gospel and then throughout the Bible, references made to Christ being the light of the world. In John 8, 12, turn with me there. In John 8, 12, Jesus says this about himself. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In chapter 9, 
verse 5, John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says this. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The fact of the matter is that the coming of Christ, although not intended to condemn, condemns. Because the unbelievers in this world, those who love darkness, are repelled by the light. And they refuse to come to the light because they love their evil deeds. Christ's very presence repels evil. And Christ states this plainly. In John chapter 9, verse 39, same chapter, a little further down, he, he's, he says this, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Christ comes as a blast of light from heaven. And what's the purpose of his coming? That those who do not see may see. Remember the context. There's a conflict going on here because Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind. And this conflict, really the conflict that follows after the healing is, is the context, really. It's used to il- illustrate the vital truth that Christ comes to give sight to the blind. There are men and women in this world who, by the grace of, of God, are aware of the fact that they are not right with God and can do nothing in and of themselves to restore their relationship to God or with God. They are blind. Still, there is another category of men and women who believe that they are all right. They say they see, as the Pharisees did here. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, who he is addressing directly. And Jesus comes that those who say that that they see, the intention really, The intention, really, is that they might say, no, we are blind. We don't see either. We thought we did. We thought we had sight. But in your presence, we realize that we are blind. In our own day, there are many people who are convinced, just as the religious leaders in Jesus' day were convinced, that they're all right. They have sight. Religions in many form promise this whether it's uh, Catholicism, whether it's Islam, whether it's apostate Judaism. They promise insight. They promise truth. But they leave man in the same position that the Jewish leaders left their nation, bound in trespasses and sins. The irreligious do the same. They don't do it under the guise of religion or messianic figures. But what do they, what, what do they promise? If, if we put particular social reforms in place, we will have a utopia. 
Or if a political platform is allowed to run the country and organize the way that we live, then then we'll have peace. Or maybe if some moral reform is put in place, and of course the new morality is, is immorality, or maybe some philosophical reform right, of, of, of the masses. Maybe these things will help us to see. As Jesus' coming condemned those of his day who refused to come to him, his coming continues to condemn all who refuse to come to him today. Jesus stands against all worldly philosophies and all demonic religions, and he condemns them all together in his person. Look a bit further in your Bibles with me at John 15. And in John 15, verse 22, John 15, 22, Jesus says this, And here, he's speaking to his disciples, and he is communicating to them and explaining to them about the hatred that the world has for them because they believe in him. And he says this, verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sins. What does, what does Christ mean here? Of course, Christ is the capstone of revelation. In the light of his coming, the revelation of Scripture is illuminated. All of Scripture receives maximum clarity in the person of Christ. All of Scripture speaks of him, and when he comes, Scripture becomes clear. Simultaneously, the plight of the entire world finds its solution in Christ. So as he speaks to his disciples, he he makes this point that if he, if he had not come and spoken these words, those who do not believe, they would have no sin. But now that he has come, there is no excuse. Remember his setting there. He's speaking, of course, of the Jewish people. The reason he speaks this way is because embedded in the Old Testament were these promises that God would send his son into the world. And there's this a theme or motif or this language of light being sent into the world is tied to the person of Christ to the very coming of the Messiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 9, chapter 2. In Isaiah 9, 2, we read these words. God promising the coming coming day of deliverance and the coming of his Messiah, he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. As this promise was confirmed in the birth of the Son of God, I tell you, even today this is true. Into this world that is filled with darkness and that has a propensity, a love, really, not just a propensity towards evil, but a love for evil and for evil deeds. When the gospel of Christ is preached, when his person is presented as he is proposed to his people in the gospel, light shines in that darkness. A little further in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, in Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 7, the prophet continues. And now he's speaking for the Lord, and he declares this. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the peoples, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison and those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So not only is the Christ promised to be a light to the Jewish people, but he is the light of the world, as Jesus himself said. Your spiritual blindness can be cured. The bondage that you're under can be broken. Isaiah continues in chapter 49. In chapter 49, Isaiah says this. 49 verse 6. Indeed, he says, this is the Lord speaking Indeed, he says, Isaiah repeats the Lord's words now, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Is, has, has God spoken? Is there light from heaven to help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Yes, that light is found in his son. Christ is the salvation to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said, if I had not come, if I had not spoken these words, you would have no sin. It's as if he's saying, right, loose paraphrase here. If I had not come, go on living as you please. The promises of the Bible are not true, so what does it matter? There is no sin. You have not sinned. God's promises are void. They're empty. If I had not come. Because from the very beginning, when God gave the first promise, 
in the form of a judgment upon the serpent, Christ was promised. If Christ had not come and spoken, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What does it matter? But he came and spoke. All of the false religion and Judaism of his day was condemned when he came, when he spoke. He takes the same posture today. If you refuse God's only begotten Son, you are condemned already. The knowledge of saving truth was taught by him and is found in him alone. His heavenly wisdom is meant to give life to faith. Therefore, we must listen to him. We must pour over the Bible in light of the coming of Christ that we might hear his voice as his sheep. And if you do not know Christ, the word of God is the means by which God reveals Christ by the power of his spirit to those who are longing to know him. The merciful counsel of God, the way of salvation, has been published in Christ's person. The only hope that we have is coming to him. God sent his son into the world. He sent life into the world. He sent light into the world through the person of his son. Jesus is the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John 12, he says this. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 46. John 12, 46 he says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but the world, but the, uh, judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which will judge him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The mind of God was fully and clearly revealed in Christ, and it continues to be to this day. Why, you know, all of the questions that people ask, well, why was I made? Uh, where is everything heading? Why are things the way that they are today? How should I live and deal effectively with all of the issues of life? All of those questions are answered in the person of Christ. Christ has now become the wisdom of God. To come to the Bible without Attempting to get to Christ and come to Christ is foolishness. The types and shadows of the Old Testament are brought to light in him. The prophecies and promises are most perfectly fulfilled in his person and work. 
Without Christ, the world is lost and ruined. It continues in darkness and continues to plumb itself into evil. God sent him to us, as one author put it, as an able, willing, suitable, sufficient, and complete Savior. That is how Christ is proposed. Because into darkness, God sent this ray of light to shine brightly. The revelation of Scripture, you could think of it this way, right? So you have all of Scripture. And he's, uh, again, right, the, the context is important. So he's speaking to a Pharisee who would have had all these themes in mind. He should have made all of these biblical connections and, and many more that we don't have. Uh, uh, we don't have the time now. We could we could spend eternity examining, and we will spend eternity looking into these things. But uh, the revelation of Scripture is is like an engagement ring. Right? Engagement rings are meant to to to. Uh, draw to mind to us, uh, unity, a a gift, um, commitment, all of these things. Christ is, is the diamond that is set in that ring. He unifies and gives it glory and splendor. All of the promises that are given in Scripture are there fulfilled in Him. He is the sweetness of life. Many people are uh, shut up in their homes now. And, you know, maybe you're by yourself. Maybe you're with your spouse. Maybe you're with family or possibly with extended family. And life may seem bitter. Probably not had to spend this much time with these, all of these sinful people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're approaching... I think, uh, a month this way. And life can seem very bitter, but if you have Christ, if you know Christ, you can come to Christ to to draw from Him sweetness. Well, what kind of sweetness can we draw? Well, if Christ is the light of the world, if He comes to illumine, to reveal to us who God is, we can draw sweetness from all of the precious promises that God has for us. There is no condemnation for us. The, you know, uh, quarantine will not be the way that we live in eternity. God has promised a new heavens and a new earth where we don't have to wear N95 face masks and keep six feet of distance from each other. We can be satisfied by the fat and the marrow of Christ. He himself satiates all of our desires, right? Locked up, shut up the way that many of us are now. Our minds can run to sin or our bodies can can begin to crave things that that we ought not to crave. Drugs, alcohol, maybe uh, 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 many other things. But God calls us to be satisfied in the person of Christ. We ought to come to Christ for the satisfaction of our soul, which is our greatest need. We ought to feed upon him in this way. Well, how, 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 how do you do that? 
How do you feed upon Christ? Well, all of our longings and all of our desires ought to be filled up in Him. We can meditate and sing and pray and praise God for those sections in the Bible where He declares Himself to be our everlasting joy, where He says that He will fill our cup over to the brim where Christ himself, even in the Gospel of John, he declares that the Spirit will be in us, welling up as a a spring of water. And he says that you'll never thirst because you'll have this internal satisfaction and joy God poured out into our own hearts. The the person that can't make, uh, that can't, draw satisfaction or say or or uh, the person who cannot be satiated by these thoughts is a man who uh, or woman who have they've either hardened their hearts or they are not converted he is our stronghold and our safety he protects us christ himself is our protection uh, you know, all of the, the medical doctors and all of the measures that we've put in place, they, they're, they're really futile. Ultimately, we're in God's hands. And we will, God will not bring us into any difficulty that Christ has not sanctified for our good. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8 when he says that all of these things None of them can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And ultimately, Christ is the light to guide us. He gives guidance and clarity during these these times. How are we to think? How are we to act? How are we to respond during these times? Look to Christ. Turn to his word. Plead for clarity. He's there. He is the light of the world. John writes, and the the condemnation is based on this fact that light has come into the world. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The end here is meant to be a contrast. This is a contrast. Instead of loving Christ... And that's, that's really where the point of antithesis is, is that they hate Christ. He says, men love darkness. They don't come to the light. They don't come to Christ because they love the darkness. And darkness here stands for everything that is anti-God and anti-Christ, which is sin. Sin is at loggerheads with God and with Christ. Not being or doing what God commands and doing what God forbids. Sin, one way that we can summarize or capture what sin is, is is sin is refusal and rebellion. Think with me about this. It's refusal and rebellion. It's not being or doing what God commands. In our fallenness, we cannot be who God has called us to be. 
How does Jesus communicate this to Nicodemus? Well, as we've looked through John chapter 3, he explains it two ways. He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, John 3, 3, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then again, he repeats himself. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is a sin to remain unregenerate. <laughs> we have no power to do it. Yet, yet living that way is to live in rebellion. It's refusal. Why? Because God made, God made men upright, yet he has sought out his own schemes. It's a refusal. It's, and it's, it's a refusal of the will. It's a refusal of the mind. It's a refusal of the heart. It's a complete and total refusal. That is sin. How does David put it? He says, in sin did my mother conceive me. It's not being or doing what God commands. Most people tend to think of sin in that way only. That sin is passive. It's just, I'm not doing what God calls me to do. Well, yes, of course, that is sin. It's a refusal to submit to God, and it's not passive. Unbelievers are active. They are, as Paul says, they are at enmity with God. They're his enemies, and they are at war with him. And this is played out perfectly in, not, in doing what God forbids. Doing what God forbids. And think with me. Last week we took a look at Psalm 2. And we saw there that that was the general conception of the Jews during Jesus' time of how Christ would come. He would come mainly in judgment to destroy all of the wicked and to exalt the Jewish nation to establish his throne upon the earth. If Christ came that way, executing judgment, it would make sense for his enemies to cry out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? John writes this in Revelation 6.16. It makes perfect sense if that's how he came in judgment. But his first coming is not a coming in judgment. His first coming is a display of God's love in sending his son to die for sin. Yet men are repelled by the coming of Christ. They don't want to come to the light because they love darkness. Christ came to bring freedom to the captives. For those who are sitting in darkness, he came to give a great light. 
and we act like roaches. We scatter. We want nothing to do with that light. Why would men hate the one who came to turn them from darkness to light? Here is the irrationality of refusal and rebellion. The irrationality of sin is that those who are bound by it love it and want to continue in it because their nature is corrupt. Chrysostom writes, when men have no charge to bring against the Son of God, but can receive 10,000 blessings from him, they run from him. Jesus says it better than Chrysostom. In John 15, 25, Jesus says this. John 15, 25. They hated me without a cause. The world has no reason to hate Christ, and they do. I think I've said this before. Uh, You've probably heard this before. And no one uses Muhammad's name as a curse word or any other so-called religious leader. There is a great disdain in this world for Christ. Why? Because men love sin. And men are born evil. And not just man, gender, uh, men and women. And people have this concept that those who love darkness, unbelievers are like neutral. There's a set of them that are neutral, right? There, there are some who are really, really evil, but then there's just a group of them who are, who are neutral. That's not true. You will not find that perspective anywhere in the Bible. And in this verse, Jesus himself opposes that view. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The Jewish people who condemned Christ, right, they yelled out, Give us Barabbas! What did they prefer to Christ? They preferred a legalistic, self-righteous, self-aggrandizing tradition. That's what they preferred. They preferred the oppressive rule of a foreign nation. They, They had no concept, really, of what they were doing. But when they thought of Christ, they hated him so much that they said, man, we're just going to stay with the Pharisees because whatever this guy's proposing, we don't want it. We'll stay under the rule of the Romans. And you know, a generally, an unbeliever is not going to say, I love serving the devil. Some might, and some might do it facetiously, or some might do it with some will. Like they've, they've committed themselves to that kind of evil and wickedness. But many won't. They won't speak that way. Most unbelievers think they're good people. But but the issue is this. Uh, um, 
You ever, and I don't mean this in a bad way, right? But you ever been to, to somebody's house and there's an odor, but it's like the odor of their house. This is how this family together or the individual, how they smell, right? They don't know it, you know? They walk in and out of that house and they don't smell the family odor, right? So the Fernandez, the fragrance of Fernandez, they don't, right? We don't smell it. But when other people come over, I'm not saying it's a noxious smell, but it's a smell. Right? That people have. And, you know, other people with other last names have the same odor. And you, you don't know it because you live in it. Right? You, you're surrounded by it. it. It permeates all of your senses all of the time. You don't taste it. You don't smell it. You don't see it. And man is born into a world that is under God's judgment. Man himself, the creature, is under God's judgment. And the creation as a whole, it's, it's under a curse. So they don't see their own evil. Job, Job says it this way in Job chapter 21. In Job chapter 21, Job puts it like this. He says, They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. This is what unbelievers are saying. This is what your really nice family member who refuses to come to church, he'll come and, or she'll come and they'll get you out of a jam if you've got a flat tire, if you're a little short on your rent and they'll give you money. And, you know, they're really nice to the kids. But you begin to speak about the Lord and they want nothing to do with it. This is what they're saying. We have no desire for the knowledge of your ways. I don't care. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? That's what the unbeliever is saying. We, we've got to frame it that way. Not so that... We just grow to hate people who aren't Christians. No, because Christ comes into the world with that very knowledge. Christ knows that the world is bound in sin and darkness. God the Father knows that the world is bound in sin and darkness and that the world loves evil. Yet he loves the world and he sends his son into the world to redeem those who would believe. The reason, of course, the reason is given with absolute clarity by Christ. Why is this the case? Why is it that this is going on? God sends his only begotten son into the world, displaying his love, uh, able to forgive all of their sins and to set them in the way of righteousness. Why do they continue in this love for sin, this love for darkness? Well, in John, Jesus says it this way. We're seeing uh, several ways Jesus said it, but here's another Look at John 8, John 8, and beginning at verse 42, John eight forty-two, Jesus says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Jesus is saying this, again, another loose paraphrase. I'm speaking on a different frequency. You can't pick it up. They are evil, and they love their sin. There is no will, no desire to come to the light because they hate it. They love their sinful, corrupt ways. And as J.C. Robb put it, they therefore reap the fruit of their own ways and will have at last what they loved. They love darkness, they will be cast into outer darkness. They did not like the light, so they will be shut out from light eternally. Because their deeds are evil. This because, if you turn to John uh, 3, this because that Jesus gives here. So, and this is a condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The way to understand that because is, is, is uh, this way, almost backwards a little bit. Uh, sinful men and women, unbelievers, they love their evil deeds. They love drunkenness. They love perversity. They love slander. They love gossip. They love gluttony. They love these things. They love to satisfy every lust that they have. They, they absolutely love it. They love having no restraint. Like Psalm 2, let us burst his bands. These encumbrances that God places upon us. No, I want to be able to think whatever I want and say whatever pleases me and do whatever satisfies me. And they would say, and to hell with God and to hell with his ways. Because they love their sin. And at the same time, they are bound captive by it. And this, this just brings clearly, this is the biblical mindset between the believer and the unbeliever. So that's what Christ is laying down here for us. He's clearly laying down that there are sheep that hear my voice and those who are goats that do not hear my voice. With absolute clarity, this is what Christ is saying. This is why they are condemned. Because they refuse to hear the Son of God. They don't want any of His ways. They hate the way of righteousness. Those who refuse the gospel of Christ, 
the foolishness of their ways are exposed. Here we have no rigid uh, religion that forces man to crawl his way up to God. No, that's not what God proposes at all. God proposes that man who has fallen and under judgment would come to him through the work of his son, that he might be lifted up out of the mire, that he might have a light shining, that he might see his way through this sin-filled world. But not only a, a sight here, but that that light shines into eternity, and it shines back from eternity so that he knows the way to heaven. You see, the issues are not intellectual. It's, it's not a problem with predestination or election if, if the person is biblically versed. You see, the, the person really doesn't have a problem with judgment in the Old Testament, how God can judge entire nations. No, that's not the issue. That's a smokescreen. That's all that is. The issue is that man is bound He's bound in sin. He loves evil. He loves darkness. All of their excuses, as Calvin said, when you come to passages like this and when you consider what Christ is teaching, they're all scattered into the wind. They have no weight. Man's only solution is to come to Christ so that he might see, so that he might see life so that he might come to really and truly know who God is. Our only solution for those questions that we ask, why are we in such a dreadful condition? How can I understand these things? Well, come to the light. Come to Christ. What is the cause of all of this evil and sin committed in the world? Come to Christ. What will God do? God will judge the world in righteousness. And what has he done? He has sent his son into the world to be the savior of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time spent considering your word. And we ask, Lord, that Christ would be our light and our life. In his name we pray, amen.